For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts. And as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts. And here on the Tuesday edition of The Yard. Yesterday was a crazy day. We're going to talk about that uh, pretty much in its entirety today. Uh, pretty crazy day involving the Mississippi State uh, pitching coach search. And so the original plan, obviously, was to record a Monday show. I got word yesterday morning that uh, we were zeroing in on a hire. And uh, I give you, give, be, you know, point blank here with you. Uh, Mike Silva from Nickel State was mentioned yesterday morning, and that was a guy that I had mentioned on uh, Sunday in connection with the Memphis head coaching job. Yesterday morning, rumors began to make the rounds that uh, he might be your next pitching coach. A little bit off the radar, kind of like the Kevin Barbet thing, right? I mean, you know, so things happen. Yeah, that's the thing. You work all day. You make a bunch of phone calls. One day chicken, the next day feathers. And so I was waiting until that was resolved of its own volition to record the show. And I wanted to tell you all about your new pitching coach and kind of what was uh, expected, kind of the backstory as best we could. And then uh, things didn't go as planned. And so I said, well, I'll record the show tomorrow night. Well, then the games kept getting pushed back. And I said, you know what? There's no point in recording the show tonight. Number one, I'm tired. I've been on the phone or the message board all day long. Uh, but I wanted to wait for those games to be final so we could talk a little bit about the College World Series field. Uh, you know, of course, our, our rooting interest involves the M over S. But uh, so here you are, a Tuesday morning show. And I'm getting this done as early as I can. Just so you guys can have it throughout the day. So... Uh, a little bit of an apology and an explanation. I'm, I'm sure you understand. You know, my intentions were to get you guys a show yesterday. But we'll be back tomorrow with a regular show. And uh, the wife's coming back today for a few days. And uh, if you're going to be in Nashville next week, uh, so are we. I'm going to see my friends in Faster Pussycat play in Nashville. So looking forward to that. Always good to go to a show and good to uh, reconnect with friends. And uh, I tell you, it's been, uh, it's been a good stretch, man being around those guys. And so always, when they're in a reasonable driving distance, I try to go see them play. And that's uh, always a good time. And live music is amazing, man. I, I love it. I mean, of course, some people are more talented than others. And uh, we're going to have a top 10 today that Roy put together, and uh, which is always helpful, right? Because I'll be honest with you, some days I sit here and I get all my notes together for the show and putting together a top 10 list at times is a bit of a chore. But uh, Roy put this one together today. So if you like it, give him all the praise. If you don't like it, give him all the blame. It's his list. So there you go. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I know what to expect when I go to Bulldog Burger Company. There is a consistency in the service, the food, the experience that I've grown to expect. I know what's going to happen when I go to Bulldog Burger Company. I'm going to get a quality meal, a spectacular meal. I'm going to get good service at a great price. I'm going to walk out of there feeling good about my day. I encourage you, no matter what kind of week you're having, uh, you can have a little bit of a break from that. 
good, bad, or indifferent, and go have a good meal. Have a good restaurant-quality hamburger. It's one of the fine delicacies we afford ourselves in life. Get the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. We all need more of that, some more than others. But uh, that chocolate shake to go is always a nice uh, little, uh, little treat, too, you know. Not a lot of places offer that. Dessert to go. That, that should be a thing. We should normalize dessert to go. Because I'm, I'm the kind of guy after a big meal, I need a palate cleanser anyway. I like to bring that stuff home. And a little bit later, a couple hours, I'm thinking, you know, I sure wish I had something sweet. Well, there you have it. You get that shipwee's bread pudding or perhaps a chocolate shake and maybe drink most of it on the way home, put the rest of it in the fridge and polish it off before bed. It's nice. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. You know, so many great people doing a great job uh, for you. And it uh, doesn't matter your rooting interest, man. You can go in there and have a great time and a great meal. Whether you have an adult beverage, a night out with friends, night out with family, it's a great destination for dining. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. Let's talk about this Mississippi State pitching coach search. Okay, so one of the concerns that we had from the beginning, and I think this was a shared concern, is that, uh, you know, how many people are going to want to kind of hitch their wagon to this deal after two uh, very disappointing years? And, uh, yeah, you're looking for a turnaround next year. But, you know, if you're one of these coaches that perhaps is, uh, you know, the trajectory of your career is headed in one direction, uh, it's a bit of a gamble. I mean, let's just be honest about it. We love Mississippi State. We do. And, you know, we're very hopeful that Chris Simonis and the staff turn this thing around. And uh, there are some of us that have some confidence in that. There are a lot of other people that have a lot of skepticism about it. And I think both are probably warranted in how they feel. You know, but there's not a lot of evidence at this point. You say, you know what, hey, things are going to be great next year. You know, I think that's probably – you know, maybe a little bit uh, homerish to think that, to be quite honest with you. You know, we got to, you know, there's a lot that's got to happen. A lot. You know, the good thing is, is, you know, you're getting some pitchers back. You know, Stone Simmons will be back. Uh, Brooks Auger will be back. Nate Williams will be back. And, of course, Nate hadn't pitched in the SEC. You know, he's got electric stuff, but he hadn't had the experience of pitching against SEC hitters. Uh, Bradley Lofton on the mend. You know, that's a guy who was expected to be a potential first-round draft pick last year. Wanted to come to school. So you get him going. There's a lot of moving parts to this thing, right? you got to get a pitching coach in that can get these guys to compete and help them uh, maybe fine-tune some mechanics a little bit. But we also got to have a guy to help us go get some arms out of the portal. So without a doubt, the most important hire, perhaps, of Chris Simonis' career and certainly of his tenure here at Mississippi State. And it gets the ability to turn around one more year to kind of right the ship. You got to get the right guy. And uh, I've done my best to keep you guys apprised of what I've heard over at jeanspage.com. And a lot of times it's been, you know, the process of eliminating candidates. I mean, there's a lot of names that get mentioned in conjunction with a job. You got to get on the phone. And, and uh, fortunately, you know, I've been doing this now since 1997. And I've, you know, put together a pretty good, uh, you know, group of sources that doesn't mean we bat a thousand we certainly want to but uh, nobody's bringing you better coverage of this than we are over jeanspage.com and uh, it is a chore i'll be honest with you and I'm, I'm sure that i'm bugging some people to death the longer this thing goes i love a good coaching search because there's not always 
quality information out there. So we beat the bushes and see what we can find. And baseball is a little bit different. It's not like in football. You know, football, you get, it's a lot easier to get information on the football side of things. It is. But on the baseball side of things, not as many people that cover the sport, not as many people in uh, you know, close proximity to candidates or agents in that respect. you got to work a little bit harder. But uh, this is a very significant hire, and we got to get it right. And the quick hire is not always the best hire, but it's one of those things, too, like yesterday, you feel like things are going in the right direction, and then things change. That's not to say that we won't end up with a good ending here. We, we certainly could. We certainly hope so. Uh, but the Mike Silva thing, to give you a little backstory on him, this is a guy, obviously, that uh, you know pitched at Louisiana, uh, pitched, coach at Louisiana Tech, got the head coaching job at Nichols, and uh, has been there two years as the head coach. Very first year he had a winning season, and this year they, uh, you know, they win the Southland Conference, and they win the Southland Conference Tournament. Silva's named Coach of the Year in the conference, and uh, they go to an NCAA regional. You know, obviously, they're, you know, they're, they're just kind of filling out the field, but what a great moment for the Colonels, right? So Silva is a name that a lot of people believe has the potential to develop into a Power 5 head coach. Even with this small sampling size, a lot of people say what he's done on the recruiting trail. I had somebody tell me yesterday, and of course, you, you can hear what you want to if you talk to enough people. It said he was able to beat LSU on some kids on a recruiting trail. And a lot of it's because of how LSU kind of structured a deal. You know, and these are kids that were pieces, right? I mean, these are not guys that LSU's going full bore after and offering, you know, 50 or 60% scholarship. But it was kind of an NIL package or whatever, you know, to kind of get some guys to come. And, and uh, Nichols made a bigger commitment financially with an actual scholarship offer. They were able to get those kids. Then he goes out and puts together uh, one of the best freshman pitchers in the country in Mayers. So that's part of the package too, right? I mean, you got the national freshman pitcher of the year that could probably come with his coach. Makes it a little more attractive. And um, and so I've learned too that LSU, you know, LSU is in the process of uh, trying to find a replacement for Wes Johnson. And I understand too they're having some trouble as well. And you would say, well, how does that happen, Steve? Obviously, the circumstances are much different, you know. But uh, if you talk to anybody in college baseball, you know, it's like Jay Johnson's a different dude. He is. Jay Johnson's a very demanding guy, a different guy, for sure. And uh, a lot of people just, you know, aren't maybe intrigued with that working arrangement. And a lot of people thought as soon as Wes Johnson was named – is the uh, head coach at the University of Georgia. And I, I'm told that uh, Wes was leaving, period. Uh, that Wes was actively looking for a job this year. A lot of people say, well, Nate Yeske from A&M uh, will make that decision. Now, here's what I'm told about that. And things can always change. But I'm told that there's some issues that kind of date back to Arizona uh, with Yeske and Jay Johnson, basically about scholarship money. You know, it's like, hey, we have a chance to get a couple pitchers. We need to be able to match an offer or get close, and these kids want to come here. And uh, I was, I'm told Nate was told, no, we, we can't do that. You're the best pitching coach in the country. I expect you to figure it out. We need to use that money on hitters. And so as a result, those pitchers didn't go to Arizona. They went somewhere else within the Pac-12 and uh, came in there and shoved. And so I understand there's a little bit of a rift right there. That's not to say that uh, Jay Johnson may not eventually talk to Nate Yeske into going to LSU, you know, because now with uh, NIL and the top scholarship and all that, there's a lot more, uh, you know, finances that are available uh, to help supplement the scholarship situation at LSU. So 
but I, but I continue to hear Nate's not going to go to LSU. And so LSU and Jay Johnson, as late as, what is today, Tuesday, Sunday night, they were courting Mike Silva from Nickel State. And they may end up getting him. We'll see. We'll see how things go. But I was told late yesterday that um, Silva and some close to him, I just kind of talked to him about, hey, you know, you're on a good path right now. And maybe remaining a head coach is probably the, the way to go. Maybe you go take another you know, upper-level G5 job. And then in a few years, if you win there, you'll be in the mix to be a Power 5 head coach. Now, some could argue, of course, hey, like right now, the pitching coach job at Mississippi State uh, pays significantly more than the head coaching job at Nichols. Right? But it's not always about money. Sometimes you got to look at the bigger picture. But the bottom line is, is uh, Silva's not coming here and doesn't appear to be going to LSU. And, of course, things can change. I mean, they can. But uh, we feel confident at this point that he is not going to be a candidate moving forward uh, for the Mississippi State coaching job. And so, you know, word late yesterday, and uh, we were able to report that over jeanspage.com. A lot of people, too, and I, and I guess I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit, too, uh, hear about this. Listen, I, I love everybody. I do. But some of y'all make my head hurt. It's true. And, uh, you know, give – a couple of our posters uh, really were on it yesterday, too, about Silva. And, uh, you know, that's, that's embarrassing, to be honest with you. I mean, it's like when you work as hard as I do and all of a sudden you know, somebody else has some information that you don't, you know, you, you kind of get on the phone and kind of question yourself, you know, where, where did I go wrong here? How did I miss this, right? Um, but then all of a sudden other people begin to take that information and kind of pass it off as their own, attributing it to sources Hey, I'm hearing this. Well, you know, to be honest with you, I don't think you're hearing anything. I think you're reading it. And so then when you go out there and falsely attribute this, that you're hearing this from a source, you know, I, I guess one of your friends could read it and then they tell you and they have, are technically the source. But the reality of it is, is um, when I reported late yesterday that uh, things were not going to work out between State and Mike Silva, it's funny, uh, nobody came back then and outed their sources. You know, it's, it's things change. But uh, I give credit to a couple guys on our message board, uh, one in particular. Uh, he's the first one that had it. He did. And that happens sometimes. I mean, it's, it's a big world out there, right? There are a lot of people that have connections through donorship or relationships or whatever, and you never know where the information is going to come from. I've had a great source uh, on the Memphis coaching job throughout this uh, last few days. Uh, they've been kind of able to uh, share some information with me that's been very credible. And you never know where those things are going to materialize. But but let's not get out here and, you know, your sources are saying this. I mean, come on. Come on. It's incredible. It's as soon as message boards were created, everybody got sources. Then social media comes along, and then message boards themselves become sources. And then message board posters are then considered sources. But rather than just say, hey, I read this over on on the jeanspage.com message board, all of a sudden we've got to build up our internet credibility and say, hey, my sources are saying this. Yeah. All right. Good luck with that. It's incredible your sources failed you yesterday evening when things fell apart, but I digress because uh, my sources failed me in the first place, not uh, sharing the Mike Silva name with me as a candidate for our job. It happens to the best of us. But the reality of it is, no matter who knew what and when we knew it, Mike Silva's not going to be the pitching coach of Mississippi State. Wish him the best in whatever he does. And uh, I had some people tell me in college baseball circles, they said, Steve, you'll love this guy. Really, really fired up guy. Uh, really relates well. 
you can see why he, people are excited about him in the future. Kind of moving forward, it's a potential Power 5 head coach. All right, so we start running the numbers here. And after that kind of goes away, you go back start working sources again. Just when you think it's over, you're having to call and text all these people again. And I know it gets annoying. I know it does. I know. Uh, but the reality of it is, is uh, back to square one in many respects. And so Rob Walton obviously was the guy that's been uh, closely connected to this job since the very beginning. And the thing that I go back to, and we had some discussions about this yesterday over on uh, the jeanspage.com message boards, it's never, ever the first name. I mean, rarely ever is it the first name. And Walton was the first name. And usually when that happens, I'm always skeptical, right? Because I go back to the whole thing, like when we fired Sylvester Croom, you know, ESPN reports that uh, Derek Dooley, emerging as a top candidate for Louisiana Tech, guys, he was never at any point connected to our job, ever. Because it gets out there early because a lot of people, their agent wants to get their names associated with that job. Either they want that job or they just want that name out there to be considered for an SEC job because then all of a sudden, if, hey, they're mentioned there, if Mississippi State's willing to interview them, then maybe we should too. There's a lot of that misinformation that goes on with agents. I've been victim of that sometimes myself. And you find out who to trust, but there's always somebody that pops up and says, oh, yeah, so-and-so's going to get that job. And you're like, oh, yeah, for sure, so-and-so's going to get this. Doesn't always work out that way. The only time of any search that I've actually covered – Todd Grantham was the first name that I heard, and it was amazing to me. <laughs> I go back, and uh, this will sound kind of petty, and that's okay. That's okay. We kind of specialize in petty times around here. I remember the Todd Grantham thing. I knew we had it, and you want to trust it. And uh, I remember when I put it out there, and, of course, everybody else is like, oh, no, I hadn't heard that. I don't think it's going to be Grantham because, you know, he's happy at Louisville. And little did they know, the deal was already done. And so that's the only time in my of the searches that I've covered. And Paul Jones mentioned yesterday to my Ben Howen, but we didn't really have a search there. And uh, with this search, you know, Chris Jans was a name that emerged very early in the process. But it's very rare that it's the first name. And Rob Walton was the first name associated with this job. And that this is not a situation where uh, Rob's agent is out there leaking anything. There was some validity to all of this. You know, the wizard. And it really felt like in the beginning – Things were trending towards a very tidy and quick hire to replace Scott Foxhall. And I cautioned everybody on the message board. And there were a lot of people that were like, hey, this is close, done deal. As soon as they get done playing, we'll announce them. Well, after speaking with some sources, I was told, you know what, this is not a done deal. Yes, he is a priority candidate, but it's not a done deal. And I went out and cautioned people. Hey, it's not a done deal. Don't get too emotionally invested in this thing because we're still going to interview some other candidates. There are a lot of things that are going to happen between now and the time we hire a coach. And now Rob Walton, I no longer consider him a candidate for the job. He is connected with the Memphis job. I understand that he has uh, spoken with the Memphis officials and um, haven't been able to confirm, but I was told he was supposed to have a formal interview with them on yesterday. That's not to say that the Memphis job is more prestigious uh, than the Mississippi State pitching coach job, but this may be a situation where Rob, at his age, he's not that much older than me, but maybe may the last opportunity he has to be a head coach. He was once a head coach at Oral Roberts, and he's an Oklahoma State alum. And so it makes sense that, you know, hey, I put in 10 years here at Oklahoma State, and uh, I know the situation up there, I think under holiday, is probably plateaued. 
And so everybody's probably looking to kind of make some changes. And um, yeah, so they will. But we don't consider him a candidate for our job any longer, period. So then you think, okay, well, Steve, where do we go from here? Do we take a run at Negeski? Well, I mean, you know, hey, we'd be a fool not to talk to him, at least make him tell us no. But no, I don't expect him to come. I don't. And what I'm hearing as of late, there is a good chance, not final by any stretch, there's a good chance that Nate Yeski's actually going to stay at A&M and that he was only looking to leave if the right opportunity came along. He's not looking to leave just to leave. Uh, but there are some guys out there that um, now that their seasons are over are now more willing to talk to us. So uh, I'm still optimistic we get a deal done this week. And if we don't, I think maybe it's time at that point you start you really start getting nervous. And of course, a lot of people are just ready for this thing to end. And a lot of it's because we, you know, the portal is open, right? And uh, we need to get to work getting some guys recruited. And of course, you know, Cheesebro and Gotro and Lamonis have been on the road, and uh, they've been up in Cape Cod, uh, you know, looking at players and you know, recruiting players. And so it's not like we're just all sitting around twiddling our thumbs waiting to hire a pitching coach. Uh, but, yeah, you, you, if you're going to go re- recruit a pitcher, you need to be able to tell them who's the guy that's going to be calling pitches and running practice and, you know, supervising bullpens. That's an important part of things, especially with pitchers. It's one thing if they're an outfielder or a hitter or whatever. I mean, if, you know, having the hitting coach is really not as important as having a pitching coach. It's not. Yeah, you want a guy that can fine-tune some hitting mechanics and things of that nature. But the game never really changes. But the, the deal with baseball, and especially on the pitching side, probably not a more intimate relationship in the entire sport than that between the pitching coach and the pitcher. So you got to be able to get that guy for sure. Uh, some other names that are out there, Justin Parker from South Carolina. That's a name that goes back a ways with, uh, with Chris Simonis. You know, they have some connections uh, going back to Indiana. And uh, Justin Parker, and of course, had a very successful season at South Carolina. I don't know if he'd make the move or not. But I know that we've had some, some discussions with him. Uh, we kind of courted him a little bit. And, you know, their season is now over. You know, South Carolina appears to have things rolling, but they're going to lose a lot of arms this year. It's going to be kind of a rebuild there in the, with the staff. And uh, I'd read some things yesterday in my research that uh, they're not paying him a whole lot in South Carolina. Now, they may have to now. You know, Mississippi State may be uh, getting him a big raise to stay where he's at. We don't know. But that's a name probably to remember kind of moving forward, Justin Parker from South Carolina. Um, a lot of other names out there. We're kind of doing our own due diligence to kind of find out what's true and what's not true. You know, the name Wes Davis, Moral Roberts, was mentioned very early in the search. Uh, I don't believe that he is a candidate for the job at this point. Uh, and uh, really excited for Oral Roberts and uh, those guys to have an opportunity to go play in Omaha. And so Wes has probably put himself in a situation to make a little more money, whether it be from uh, uh, Oral Roberts or another opportunity somewhere. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've also learned and been told that there is uh, at least one other pitching coach that is still in season right now. And you start running the numbers on this. Well, there's eight where you can remove one of them, LSU. Because you're not going to go hire Wes Johnson, right? <laughs> because he got the head coaching job at Georgia. So it takes you down to seven. All right, if you're not talking to Wes Davis at Oral Roberts, it takes you down to six. And then you begin to look through this and you begin to think, well, kind of who makes sense? Well, hmm, that's interesting. Well, Stanford, you know, got a good pitching coach out there. 
Uh, David Esker does a, does a great job at Stanford. They, they, they were really a consistent program, and I think in many respects the class of the Pac-12. But that's a West Coast guy out there, a California native, you know, a guy that uh, you know doesn't have any recruiting ties to the Southeast. It doesn't make a lot of sense for us to go target the Stanford coach. Right? So that brings you down again. Then you start thinking about Kirk Sarlos, who I think in many respects, I think Kirk might actually be the best pitching coach in the country. But he's also now the head coach at TCU. He replaced Jim Sloshnet. Go when Slosh left to go to AM. But Kirk is a dude, man, and so incredibly well respected in college baseball. And he has a pitching coach there as well, Winkler. But Winkler may develop into a power five pitching coach at some point on his own merit. And I'm not being critical of him, but he is kind of a protege of, of Kirk Sarlos. But, uh, but the bottom line is that uh, Kirk is the guy. He is. And that's not to say that Winkler won't, you know, be a good pitching coach for somebody at some point. But Kirk kind of runs the show. It's kind of the same thing in Florida. You got cop there at Florida. Uh, but let's all, you know, Kevin O'Sullivan's the guy, right? I mean, I think we all know that, right? I mean, and it's a similar situation in Virginia, not quite as dramatic. You know, O'Connor's the guy that runs that ship. And, um, you know, Dickinson there has been around, former pitching coach at Illinois. And that, that's not – I've heard that name connected with our search as well. But you start thinking, okay, when you get down – you, you move those guys down, and then you've got only a handful to even talk about. And there's still Mascara out there. And uh, I think Mascara is probably the hottest name among pitching coaches in the country. Yeah, the question you ask yourself, is he willing to come hitch his wagon to this with all the uncertainty around uh, the future of Mississippi State baseball? You know, I mean, it, it's a situation – Am I willing to move my family out there, even if I have a two-year guarantee, you know, and knowing that I may have to make a move again next year? You know, that's a real concern. And that's one of the things that we talked about the opening of the show when all this began with Scott Foxhall being uh, terminated, is that who's a quality pitching coach willing to come? You know, do I think Corey Mascara would come here? If I'm being honest with myself, no. There's not a lot of reason for a guy like him to come here. He's the pitching coach of the number one team in the country the number one team in, in the tournament, the number one team that's expected to win uh, the College World Series. I don't know that I expect them to win it, to be quite honest with you. I think that uh, as great as they can swing it, there's some real teams in their side of the bracket. But uh, Mascara is a name that's on the rise. So, yeah, maybe, you're, maybe you are talking to him. I just don't know if you can pull him. I don't think you can. I just don't know if a guy whose star is on the meteoric rise that Corey Mascara is – would come here under these circumstances. And I hate it because we're Mississippi State. That's the situation that we're in. Um, yeah, so we'll see, kind of moving forward. But uh, we're still doing our due diligence. Uh, we're still spending a lot of time on the phone. As you notice, we didn't record a show yesterday, and I didn't write a single article yesterday because trying to answer your questions and trying to get my questions answered uh, as we kind of move forward. But uh, – I do have optimism, you know, that we're going to get this thing turned around, and I do think that we're going to ultimately get a very good pitching coach. I know some people have said, hey, you know, let's go get Steve Smith from Auburn. I know Steve's trying to get a coaching job somewhere. I just don't think it's here. I know some other people are like, oh, let's go get him. I just think, you know, maybe having an older guy would be a good thing. I just don't think it's Steve. And uh, I've, I've spoke to two people closely affiliated with Steve Smith uh, in the last 24 hours that uh, – say he has not had any conversation with Chris Simona since really the beginning of all this. When he first left Auburn, he kind of reached out to see if there would be perhaps some interest in him uh, because it's an opening here, obviously. 
you know, makes sense that he would reach out and say, hey, listen, I'm interested in talking to you about your job if you're interested in me. But uh, I understand that um, that's not really the case right now. The things could change, I guess. You, know, you start running through the numbers here and you start getting through some candidates and you start thinking, you know, hey, if I could do worse than Steve Smith. Uh, I, th I think you could. But I think at this point you're probably thinking you probably can do better than Steve Smith at this point in his career. That's not to be critical of Steve by any stretch of imagination. It's a guy that's uh, won a lot of ball games over the course of his career as an assistant, as a head coach. Uh, a lot of respect for Steve Smith. But um, at this point, I don't think that the search goes in that direction. I do think, obviously, he would take the job because he is out there actively searching for a college job. He's been at Auburn the last couple of years basically as an analyst, but uh, ready to get back in the game. Uh, you know, so we'll see how things progress and wish Steve the best. I just don't know that it's going to be here. But the uh, you know, reality of it is, is we need to get uh, we need to get a pitching coach lined up. You know, does it ever get to Steve Smith? I guess it's possible. But uh, I think I'd chase Justin Parker until he told me no, especially if I've got a relationship with Justin. You know, it's not like, hey, there's, we've not had a working relationship before. Uh, but we'll keep you updated on it. And, uh, yeah, I get the frustration level out there. I mean, we all love Mississippi State baseball. We do. And, and when um, – you know, there, there's some few things in life that you have uh, kind of grown to accept, right? Like there's, there's so much that happens in life that there's so many variables to. But, you know, the one constant we've always been able to say is, hey, we're Mississippi State. We can go out. We can hire a good coach. We can win a lot of all games. And all of a sudden we've, we've had the last two years, and all of a sudden like, well, wait a minute. This isn't part of the cards here. Why, why all of a sudden am I having to worry about Mississippi State baseball? It's always been kind of a, you know, and one of those things, too, that I can kind of count on that um, kind of an escape from the, you know, the mundane realities of life. That I can go enjoy being part of greatness at Mississippi State baseball. And we haven't gotten good return on that investment the last two years. And so I'm still a Chris Simonis guy, but I'm more importantly a Mississippi State guy. So I want what's best for Mississippi State. I want Chris Simonis to succeed because if Chris succeeds, that means we're succeeding. And there are some people that are so invested in narrative right now, I almost feel like they're pulling against us. But um, that'll change. You know, once people see some evidence, you know, and um, I just hope we have some. You know, that's that's my honest prayer in all of this. Is I, I'm I, I'm watching college baseball these days, and I think to myself, I just want um, I want to feel that again. You know, the joy of going to Omaha. And I remember something Dave Murray told me back in 18. We went to Omaha and scooped up some dirt with a Gatorade cup. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes. And he says, you never know when it's your last time. You never know when it's your last time. And going to Omaha is so very special. If you've never done it, the next time the Bulldogs go, you got to make a point to go. There were so many people that went to Omaha for the first time in 2021. And they were a part of that. Chance to watch us win an Apple championship. It's an incredible experience for all of us. You know, we went in 18, you go in 19, and you go in 21, and you think, hey, this is going to last forever. It doesn't. And I think that's the, probably the lesson this week that I have learned or maybe been reminded of is I won't ever take that for granted. You know, I thought maybe we had graduated beyond this point. You know, and again, you know, John Cohen had a couple rough years and bounced back, but they weren't back-to-back. -back. Ron Polk at times had some challenging years, only had one, the one losing season. Uh, but the reality of it is, is we've been here before, and we'll be back. We're Mississippi State. We'll be back. And there will come a time we're back in Omaha. And when we are, you need to make the, the effort to go. 
because it is so special. And you see all these kids and fans and everybody celebrating their team dogpiling after winning a Super Regional, and it makes me jealous. It does. And I sit there and I think to myself, we didn't even get a chance to go to Hoover. And then some of our contemporaries and some of our rivals and people within our conference are going to Omaha. And so, yeah, we've been there and we've won, and we have. But, but I'm ready to win again. I'm not dissatisfied. It wasn't, it wasn't a destination. It was part of the journey. It's not like, okay, we won the College World Series. Okay, so we can move on to something else. Nah. I want what LSU has. I want all those NAFL championships. That's what I want. I want us to have so many stickers out there, we have to build a billboard like them to celebrate all of our national championships. I'm not satisfied with one. And again, as I, I shared with you guys on the show before, when I went to Georgia last year, and I was sitting out there and I thought about, I see that the little decal on the wall about them winning an NFL championship. And Georgia's not committed to baseball. And really never have been. But I looked at that sticker out there and I said, that's not going to be us. That's not going to be us. You know, 30 some odd years later, still celebrating that one championship. I'm not going to be satisfied with that. And I know that you're the same way. Now that we've had one, I want two. I want three. I, don't, I, don't, I want to pass away with multiple NAFL championships in college baseball at Mississippi State. I don't want to be Georgia. I don't want to be looking back and said, hey, remember when? When we got lucky. You know, we had a really good team and the things just kind of fell our way. And we won the NAFL championship. We didn't capitalize on it. But we won that one, so let's put a sticker out here and kind of declare ourselves worthy of being part of that club. I thought to myself with the commitment that we've made as a fan base and as an institution to college baseball, that one NAFL championship is just not going to be enough. And so we got to take whatever steps that are necessary to ensure we get back to a NAFL championship caliber level. we got to get back to being a top eight national seed. And the first step back, obviously, is us uh, – you know, hiring the right pitching coach. But uh, I share in the same frustration that you guys do. You know, I'm never, never going to pretend that uh, perhaps that, uh, you know, my suffering is unique by any stretch of imagination. Uh, I love Mississippi State baseball. I do. And I have people that they're, they're disclaimer, well, I know you love state baseball, but you just shoot me straight, okay? I can take it. I can take it. That's one thing this week. Everybody's like, hey, you know, under normal circumstances, so-and-so would take that job and not even look back. But – and so, yeah, it's frustrating. It is. To think that Mississippi State baseball is, is unhealthy right now. And we got to get that fixed. we got to get it fixed. So uh, we'll keep you up to date as best we can. And uh, you never know, as things are going, may end up being uh, some candidate out of left field. Uh, I'm, I'm completely open to that, too. But uh, we, you know, we want to be able to provide you uh, up-to-date and quality information over jeanspage.com. So you can follow that. And uh, we had three updates on uh, – Three updates on Sunday and a couple yesterday. And so I feel like I've got a good feel on it right now, but um, I know that they're going to want to protect the integrity of the search. And we don't want to do anything, too, to jeopardize the search, too. We want to provide you with information, but not at the expense of the search. I'd love to be able to say that I was sitting on Mike Silva's name all day yesterday, but that's just not true. I mean, that, that was one that just kind of popped up, you know. But we're not going to do anything that makes the uh, the job harder. You know, we want to ultimately be able to, to break the news, obviously, and, some, and most of the times we are able to do that, but other times we're not. But the reality of it is, is we're not going to go out there and do anything that's detrimental to Mississippi State baseball. 
At the same time, we've got an obligation to our listeners and our subscribers to provide you guys with up-to-date information as best we can, and we will always strive to do that over at jeanspage.com. All right, time for today's top 10 list. As always, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. If you know Blair, you love Blair. To know Blair is to love Blair. What the old country songs say, the ones that like him love him. I like him. Do I love him? Yeah, I do. He's my buddy. But Blair is a guy, too, that can be your friend, too. And maybe it's in a short period of your time when you really need something. Maybe you're in the process of buying a home. Maybe you're looking to refinance. Maybe you're you're in foreclosure, right? Let's just be honest about that. Not everybody has had um, maybe, you know, the easiest path. And maybe you need some help. You need a professional like Blair Chandler. With over 20 years of experience in the mortgage loan origination industry, works at Fairway Mortgage, a company that um, very reputable lender. This is not some subprime lender, fly by night type company. You're dealing with a winner that represents a winning organization. As all these emails come rolling in, uh, reach out to Blair at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And just let him, you know, let him know your situation. Back-to-back-to-back years in a top 1% close ratio in the country. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that gets things done. And if you need to get things done, look no further than CloseWithBlair.com. You can visit his website at C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. The proud sponsor of the top 10 list. And this list, again, put together by Roy. And so if you don't like it, you can uh, blame him. All right, the, today's topic is a country artist by the name of Luke Combs. I know he has a big following. I've listened to a couple songs. I'm familiar with him. I could not pull this list off. I would do a disservice to this. But Roy has been after me for a while, and we've had a lot of requests for Luke Combs. So Roy put the list together, and I understand Roy's going to go see, um, see him play pretty soon. And he says he, his wife, and his daughter are going to Boston to see Luke Combs with the Avid Brothers. And I think he's seen the Avid Brothers like 30 times or so. Uh, he's a fanatic. And Roy put together that list for us, too. I know that uh, some of you jam band folks maybe aren't quite as familiar with them. They actually did a song with Chris Cornell that is fabulous. But uh, Roy, a big Avid Brothers fan. And that's the thing, too. There's always that band out there that um, just kind of speaks to us, right? There's always that one or two, that uh, they are telling your story. And for Roy, that's the Avid Brothers. But we're doing the headliner, Luke Combs, today. So, again, this is Roy's list. So offer your complaints, suggestions, uh, dirty jokes, whatever, about this list to Roy. Number 10 on our list is uh, a song called Five Leaf Clover off the Getting Old album. Number nine, Going, Going, Gone from the Growing Up album. That's your number nine track from Luke Combs. Better Together, that's number eight, according to, uh, to Roy. Now, now there is a song, this beautiful, crazy song. This, this one's for you album. I've heard that song. It's, it's, it's cute, it's clever, it's sweet. Maybe you dig it, maybe you don't. It's okay. I'm not judging. One number away, also from that same uh, This One's For You album. Growing Up and Getting Old, obviously off the Getting Old album. 
Um, again, I'm unfamiliar with these tracks, so I'd give you a little more backstory, whatever. It makes it a little more difficult for me when I'm doing somebody else's list. Because like a lot of times, so songs have a special meaning to me. Because, you know, that's the thing is that um, you know, music is the greatest time machine ever invented, right? It bring you right back to where you were. There's sometimes, like, I even remember smells. It's weird to think about, right? I remember, like, I remember sometimes going to my grandmother's house. Like, I hear a certain song, and I remember it, she used to play it on a record player, and you walk in there, and I, I can remember the way her sm her house smelled. You know, not bad, but you know what I'm saying. There's just unique smells that uh, bring back very vivid memories. So I can't really talk about these because I don't, I don't have memories with these. But uh, uh, number four on the list, I think that's where we are. Number four is Tomorrow Me from the Growing Up album. She Got the Best of Me. I've heard that one. It's a great track. It really is. And we've all been there before too, right? And it doesn't matter perhaps, um, <clears throat> you know, what side of the fence you're on. At some point, we've all put our heart on the line and, and somebody's kind of gotten after us. But... Um, I do know that song, She Got the Best of Me. That's a good track. It really is. Uh, number two is Love You Anyway, also from the Getting Old album. But number one, according to Roy, Roy Samante, the keeper of the list, has dubbed When It Rains, It Pours is the number one Luke Combs song. So there you go. Maybe you've got a connection to Luke, and uh, maybe let Roy know how he did. Those of you that are fans... That uh, and Roy is a listen. Roy used to be a real rocker, and uh, he is mellowed in his advanced age, and so now he's more of a uh, yeah. Maybe his hearing is bad. I don't know, but uh, he's more of you know this acoustic kind of laid back type thing. And um, what's interesting now, we were supposed to go see Queensrÿche and uh, Judas Priest together. And it turned out I couldn't go. Had all kind of stuff going on. I was committed to so many things. Something had to give, and that was it. I, I missed seeing Priest in Queensryche with Roy, and I'm still salty about it. Um, so I know Roy has it within him. I know he does, and I think maybe being around me and having a, a connection with me, I think sometimes I bring out that uh, 80s Roy. And then, then he goes back to, to Missy, and all of a sudden... I get this, you know, I get, I get the Luke Combs Roy, not to say that there's one, there's anything wrong with that. I know many of you like Luke Combs and don't like Judas Priest and that's okay. That, that's all right. I, well, I, I'm not going to say it's all right. It's, I understand. It's not for everybody, but if you have an idea for the top 10 list between me and Roy, we can put it together, right? And we can make it entertaining. Uh, but Roy sends me this list and, um, and we get after it, right? We get it going. So if you have ideas, let reach out, let us know. You can find me on all forms of social media at Scout Steve R and Roy at Dogmatic67. And our great list always available on Spotify at Dogmatic67. D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-67. Give Roy a follow. He won't be tweeting out pictures of his food or anything like that. And if you follow him on Spotify, then these great lists just kind of populate for you. So check it out. Uh, we appreciate all of your support of the top 10 list. And you never know, you hit us up, we might just use your list. And we'll give you credit for it if you want it. Happy to do it. Always happy to talk some music with you guys uh, when we can. Next segment of the show is always brought to you by Campus Bookmark, a Starkvillian institution. I love Campus Bookmark, and you will too. It's a great place to do business. People that love Mississippi State, providing great Mississippi State merchandise, and decorative items for your home. 
Go by and see their smiling faces. If you can't, you can visit them via the internet, courtesy of the genius of One Al Gore, at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That'll get you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. And the order less than 75 bones, absolutely incomplete. Now, the Omaha 8 are set. Interesting. We'll pull all this up and talk about it here. Um, crazy, crazy, crazy weekend of baseball. And yesterday, you know, crazy night as the final two spots are filled. The Stanford and Texas game, listen, we've seen some brutal losses. That one last night for Texas against Stanford ranks up there very high near the top. I submit to you probably um, the Carson Shaddy pop-up deal with Arkansas against Oregon State might be the most brutal loss in the history of college baseball. I'm sure there's some other ones out there, as people point out. That was pretty rough. You know, it's one thing to have somebody get a big hit and walk you off, but uh, – to drop something like that is pretty rough. Pretty, pretty rough, to say the least. So what happened, in case you missed it, I'm sure you've seen it on social media. The um, Stanford-Texas game was tied, I guess, 6-6 with two on and two out. And there is basically a routine fly ball hit to right field, and they lose it whether it be in the lights or in the twilight or in the twilight zone, it makes no difference. They lose it, don't see it. The ball drops to one he run scores. Absolutely crazy turn of events there. Pretty remarkable in many respects. So Stanford, a team that we expected to win that super, headed to Omaha. David Esker, guys do a great job. David Esker, excuse me. They do a great job. And they're back in Omaha. The thing about Stanford, too, is they do all the little stuff right. I mean, you know, of course, they had uh, your pitcher go 156 pitches the other night. That's interesting. All right, so let's take a look at the schedule. There are just eight teams remaining playing college baseball right now on the Division I level. Oral Roberts. What a great story these guys have proven to be. Oral Roberts will take on TCU. That's going to be... The Friday game at 1 p.m. It all gets underway on Friday. Today's already Tuesday. And if you're like me, I had such a good time watching over the weekend, even though we didn't play. It's just a reminder to me of where, we're, of, of where we, we need to be and where we're not as a program. But Oral Roberts, really good for baseball. You know, that's a thing that I've said many times. Unlike the college football playoff and unlike the NCAA tournament, Anybody can win the college baseball NCAA tournament. There's always a a Cinderella of sorts in basketball. But by and large, the Blue Bloods kind of run those sports. It's just not the same really in baseball. That's how Coastal Carolina and Fresno State and Ole Miss end up winning. Because you just never know what happens. Somebody gets hot. I mean, I'm not taking a shot at Ole Miss. They deserve to win. But they were the last team in a tournament and ended up winning a NFL championship. It's pretty nuts. But this Oral Roberts thing, are they capable of winning it? I don't know. But you know what? Who thought they'd get this far? But they have had a little bit of an easier path. But this is a team that's won a ton of games. 51-12 and 12 overall, 23-1 and 1 in their conference. Veteran team. 
you know, neutral field, they've been very good, just seven, they're seven and one there. But, uh, you know, you look at what they did in the Summit League, I mean, just absolutely destroyed people. Uh, the one loss in the Summit League came in Council Bluffs, Iowa, just across the bridge there from Omaha, four to two to North Dakota State University. Yeah, let that sink in for a second. You probably didn't expect that. That's their one conference loss. And then they sweep through the Summit League Baseball Championship Tournament out in Fargo, North Dakota. Those games were not competitive, 9-2, 15-2, 12-4. They get to the Oklahoma State Regional, and they upset Oklahoma State 6-4. They then beat Washington 15-12, two different kinds of games, and then beat Dallas Baptist 6-5. So they beat everybody in the Regional. But none of those teams were expected to make Omaha. So it was kind of a peach of a regional. If there was going to be a Cinderella, this is the kind of regional. A lot of people thought Dallas Baptist would win that thing. They didn't. Oral Roberts and their veteran roster did. Then they go to Eugene, Oregon. And likely should have swept this thing. They, they win two games to one. But you remember, they got walked off in game one, nine to eight, and then bounced back and walked off Oregon, on Saturday, 8-7. to seven. So two one-run games, but pretty nuts. I mean, they jumped out to the big lead and lost the Friday game, up 8 nothing, and then lose 9-8. What a crazy moment. And all the people in Eugene, Oregon said, hey, we're going back for the first time since the 1950s. It's our year. We're a team of destiny. And Oral Roberts comes back. And then game three, 11-6 winners. That happened on Sunday. So Oral Roberts gets in. They will take on TCU, who is one of the hottest teams in college baseball. TCU played absolutely outstanding. Kirk Sarlos uh, waited for his turn. Kirk had opportunities to leave TCU. Jim Schlossnagel eventually leaves. And there was a lot of discussion that you know, Kirk was kind of the, uh, you know, the coach in waiting in many respects. But Slosh is you know, still young enough. He's going to coach several years. So Schlosh leaves. Kirk stays. And then Slosh is able to uh, pluck Nate Yeske out of Arizona uh, to replace him. And Nate, you know, one of the best pitching coaches in the country. But I submit to you, nobody will have a better pitching plan in Omaha than Kirk. Nobody. Nobody. Now, they can execute it. We'll see. But the reality of it is, is they will be as prepared as anybody in the country to go pitch in Omaha. And that side of the bracket is a lot more favorable than the other side. And you look at this TCU team, it's just absolutely ridiculous, man, what they have done here as of late. You know, when we previewed the regionals here on the show, we talked about how dicey that Arkansas regional was, you know, with Arizona and TCU in there. I mean, how many regionals had three power five teams? And TCU's gotten hot at the right time. They're 42 and 22 overall, 13-11 in their conference. They've won 11 games in a row, 11. And this has not just been, uh, you know, they didn't beat the Mississippi School of Math and Science or the Louisiana School of Arts and Crafts. So they take care of Arizona. They destroy Arkansas in back-to-back games. It, it's crazy to look at these numbers, man, because TC is kind of known more for pitching offensively. They go in that regional. And granted, Bomb Stadium, especially uh, to right field, is an offensive park. 44 runs scored by the Horn Frogs in that regional. Ridiculous, man. And you think, okay, well, they'll cool off. They'll cool off. Well, they did a little bit, but they take care of Indiana State in back-to-back games. 
four one and six four. And granted, they got to play that in Fort Worth. But you go back and look, man. These guys down the stretch absolutely have been phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. They back up here a little bit here. Okay, so since losing the series to Texas, who was eliminated last night, they take two out of three from Cal State Fullerton that made the tournament. They sweep Baylor. They take two out of three from Kansas State, a team that a lot of people thought should be in the field. And then they sweep through the Big 12 tournament. They win that. Win. They sweep through the regional. They sweep through the Super Regional. They're probably thinking, hey, this really is our year. We don't need a manufactured thing. We're a great team. Playing their best baseball late. That's what you want, right? You want to be playing your best baseball at the end of the year. Uh, now, TCU can't go in there and overlook these guys, and they won't. But it should be a good, a good matchup. I like TCU to take it, though. I do. I, I think TCU will be in good shape here. Now, the second game, Virginia and Florida. You know, Virginia, another one of those teams you look at and say, you know what, they're kind of a mainstay in college baseball. You know, we played them in Omaha in 21, one of the greatest moments in Mississippi State baseball history when Tanner Allen hits a three-run shot. I'm just hoping for a sack fly there. Let's get even. But instead, T.A. is like, nah, I got it, guys. The Virginia team had a little bit of a struggle. Uh, with Duke, you know, and that's the thing. We talk about these, uh, you know, super regionals and that sort of stuff and so much emphasis on winning game one, right? Because if you win game one, you only got to win one more, which means you only got to play one more. When you lose game one, you know you got to play at least two, which really taxes the arms. But uh, Virginia, you a great job this year. And, uh, again, in many respects, a lot of people maybe – looked at them and didn't fully really value them. But, uh, you know, down the stretch, they have played exceptionally well, too. And that's the thing. You know, there, there are no teams in Omaha that aren't red hot. So the ACC tournament there, Virginia, one and one. They beat Georgia Tech with the Mercy Rule game, and then they get shelled by North Carolina. So one and one in the tournament, and then you go to the Charlottesville Regional, and they should have hosted, and they did. They, they sweep through that by taking care of Army, and then they take two from East Carolina, allow just five runs in three regional games. Well, they get beat by Duke 5-4 in game one of the Charlottesville Super, and then absolutely destroy them in the remaining games 14-4 and 12-2. So playing good baseball, and they're going to take on the University of Florida, who is my pick to win a national championship. I thought about it, you know, everybody's got to stay healthy. But the reality of it is, I think Florida is built for Omaha, and I think they have the pitching depth. Kind of gotten some bullpen issues resolved there. But they're a good program. And I I like Florida to win this game. You know, Florida is one of those teams, too, that kind of lied like a snake in the reeds this year. You know, everybody was talking about Tennessee, LSU, then South Carolina got hot, and it's like, okay, so Florida just kind of just rolls on through this thing, and they they didn't you know, they didn't dominate. I mean, had some had some weekends they'd like to have back, but that lineup is scary, guys. They're fifty and fifteen, fifty and fifteen, twenty and ten in the SEC. They've won five games in a row, but you put up fifty wins and you play in this conference, that's getting it done. 
And looking down the stretch for them, they um, they lose two out of three to A&M, and you're thinking, oh, that's going to shake some things up. Well, they bounce back, and they sweep Vanderbilt. Another team that uh, made the field and uh, probably underachieved in the postseason. Vanderbilt was a really solid lineup. It'll be interesting to see what happens to them next year. So they sweep them, and then they go to Lexington and take two out of three from Kentucky, a team that also played in the Super Regionals. So quality competition the final two weekends, and then they go win uh, two out of three in the SEC tournament. They lose, you know, to Vanderbilt in the uh, semis. They played pretty well. And, of course, they walked off Alabama, pretty crazy ball game there. And then they get to their own regional, and a lot of people thought when they lost to Texas Tech they were going to be in trouble. But that's the thing about pitching. When you've got a lot of pitching, you can absorb those because it becomes a war of attrition. You know, if we've got to play five games and I've got more arms than you do, chances are I'm going to win. That's what happened here. They beat Florida A&M, they lose to Texas Tech, and they work their way back. The final three games at a regional, they allowed just three runs. And that Timmy Tadlock offense at Texas Tech is always going to be a team that swings for defenses. In the final two games, the regional finals, one run. 7-1 and 6-0. Really no drama at all on that Sunday doubleheader as the Gators knew they had to win two, and they do in very impressive fashion. They then get South Carolina, a team that swept them in the regular season, and they went 5-4 and 4-0. And again, that second game, South Carolina just could not get anything going. And so they get Virginia. So I like Florida to win that. Um, to beat Virginia, which would set up a probably a Florida TCU winner's bracket game. And, again, I've already told you, I, I think Florida's going to win this thing. And uh, I think, you know, considering the fact that the talent they have and perhaps that they've kind of, in many respects, maybe been disrespected this year. You know, for a team that uh, has accomplished all they have, I think they haven't been the cool team. They hadn't been the team that everybody's like, hey, well, Florida's great. Nobody talked about that because LSU was number one much of the year, and nobody gave Florida any credit, and they just kind of rolled through this thing kind of quietly. And now here they are is the number two national seed, and I believe a team that's probably going to win an Apple championship. All right, the other bracket, Stanford and Wake Forest. I, I'll be honest with you, Wake Forest has a ton of pitching. I do not think Wake has what it takes to win. And one of the things you think about, too, when you're a program that rarely goes to Omaha, it's a much different deal. Stanford has traditionally played for a lot of big things, one of the blue bloods of college baseball. I think probably a best-case scenario for Mississippi State is if Stanford wins. People say, Steve, why do you say that? Well, it's because we don't recruit against them very often. I mean, obviously they have a kid from Madison Central there, so I'm not completely oblivious to that. Uh, but my point being is that um, you know an SEC contemporary winning – Gives them a little juice on the recruiting trail. We need all we can get. So if we have an opportunity where, uh, you know, you got a team out there that um, not routinely kind of running across us, that's important. All right, looking here at Stanford. Well, I guess we'll do Wake first. Yeah, pardon me. Kind of got ahead of myself there. Uh, a lot of Wake Forest fans here as of late. But I tell you, they're a very quiet number one. You don't hear a lot of people saying, hey, Wake Forest is going to win this thing. I think most people would say, you know, number one, heavy is the, is the head. There's only been one number one seed in the history of this format that has won the NAFL championship, and that was the first year when Miami did it. 
It's almost like a curse. But they have made it, right? And again, you look at this Wake Forest team, and again, the ACC was good. I don't know that I would say they're great. They're good. I mean, obviously, Florida State was down. Miami, uh, you know, Gino has resigned down there. But uh, they've won 52 games. Wake Forest has 52 and 10, 22 and 7 in the ACC. They've won six in a, five in a row. Been very good on a neutral field, seven and one. Yeah, so we'll see how things go. But, you know, down the stretch, they just kind of quietly went about their business. And, again, I think, you know, maybe Notre Dame wasn't as good as they have been. You know, I guess Miami hosted, but they kind of underachieved. Uh, a lot of people thought Clemson would do some things. But the ACC just wasn't maybe as good as it has been. And, again, it's it trails behind the SEC. But I think Wake kind of beat up on a pretty average ACC where there was a lot of parity. You know, you know, obviously Clemson was a big story late because they got hot late, but eventually kind of ran out of juice. But when you go to this Wake Forest thing here, I mean, it's just, you know, it's pretty remarkable what they've done. You know, they win, uh, you know, looking down the stretch here, they, they win with the last four or five series without much trouble. I guess you go back even farther than that. You know, they're, they're a team that, you know, just took care of business more times than not. You know, you might get them one, it's tough to get them too. And a lot of it's got to, to do with Corey Mascara, you know, the pitching coach there. So they get into the ACC tournament, and uh, they win two there. They beat Pitt and Notre Dame. They lose to Miami, and they're eliminated. And then they get uh, into the Winston-Salem region. They sweep through that. George Mason and then Maryland and then George Mason again. Worked out good for them, and none of these games were competitive. 12-0, 21-6, 15-1. And, of course, playing in their ballpark, you'd expect that. And that park is built for offense. Temperatures are heating up. They kind of catch a break with Alabama on Saturday. You know, they had – Alabama had the gas struck out. They didn't get a call, and then he hits a jack, and then ultimately Wake Forest wins 5-4. Uh, there was no doubt about game two. It's Wake Forest just jumps all over Alabama, uh, 22 to five. You know, Pickney had a big home run to kind of get them going early for Alabama, but they sweep through that, and now we'll take on Stanford. The thing I like about Stanford is number one, they do all the little stuff right. They're a very talented team. They're a team that's got tons of pitching. Their team is athletic, plays good defense. When I look at Stanford and teams like Oregon State, sometimes I think that's what we should look like. From an athletic point of view, you know, I, I just I think Stanford has the ability to run the bases and to cover the outfield very well. Even they had a couple mistakes, but uh, forty-four and eighteen on the year, twenty-three and seven in their conference. They've won two in a row. Not so good on neutral field, just one and two. You know, played a lot of games there in the Sunken Diamond, but uh, you know, looking down here later in the year, really kind of got hot again late. You know, Stanford doing some big things uh, down the stretch. You're looking at their last three series, last four, they take two out of three at home against UCLA. They sweep Arizona State in Phoenix. Uh, they take two out of three from Arizona, and the game they lose was in 10 innings, 21 to 20. How crazy is that? And then they sweep Washington State. They get into the Pac-12 tournament. Uh, here are your losses on a neutral field. They, they beat Cal 18 to 10, then they lose to Oregon, who uh, made the Supers. 8-6, and then they get 10-run ruled by Arizona. And you got to wonder, probably feeling their postseason spot was secure, how late do you want to stay, right? They get in the regionals, 
They take care of San Jose State, then they lose to A&M, and people are thinking, oh, here comes Slosh and A&M. They're going to figure this thing out. Well, then they come through the loser's bracket, win three in a row. So their backs have been against the wall a lot in the postseason. They take care of Cal State Fulton. They take A&M, and then they uh, get A&M again late. Those last two games against A&M really were not competitive. They outscore them 20-6. to Texas gets Stanford in uh, game one, and, and they blew it. Stanford blew it. That's just, you know, as plainly as I can say it, you know, it's kind of apropos that uh, the things happened last night with Texas where they did. But to be fair, Stanford makes a couple more pitches. This thing was over with on Sunday. But Texas won 7-5 on Saturday. They come back 8-3 winners on Sunday, and then yesterday win 7-6. So uh, Stanford probably not good enough to sweep through this thing. They probably – Got to work through the loser's bracket, but I think they're a team with the pitching. If it turns into a war of pitching depth, I think that favors them. I think the only team on their side of the bracket that has the depth that they do is Tennessee. Now, speaking of Tennessee, let's talk about that matchup now. Tennessee and LSU. Now, people forget earlier in the year, Tennessee obviously was swept by Missouri. Everybody's like, oh, how crazy is this? They'll be okay. And then next thing you know, you look up and uh, they got a losing record in the conference. And it stayed that way for a long, 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 long time. It really did. We go up there and we kind of ignited them, I guess. The way we pitch at times, it you know, kind of makes sense. You know, They found some confidence. We did a good job pitching against them for a while, but um, eventually they got to us. But Tennessee finishes the conference year 16 and 14. But you go back and remember that LSU series, what a big deal that was. A lot of people weren't exactly sure about LSU then. People wanted to be excited about LSU, but they weren't sure. This was one of those huge series. They set an attendance record down there, which is super cute. Um, but LSU wins 5-2 and then 6-4, and then Tennessee rallies back and wins game 3-14-7. But these games were good. But LSU did a great job keeping the Tennessee offense at bay. But it's not like LSU scored a bunch of runs against them either. Now, that's an important thing that I go back to. And let's go back and look, kind of revisit this uh, game one, which was a Thursday game uh, against uh, between Tennessee and, uh, and LSU. One of those games, too, that I think a lot of people just look at and say, you know what, now this makes perfect sense. Uh, Paul Skeens actually started this game and uh, got a no decision. And the, the win was credited to Edwards out of the bullpen. But Skeens goes seven innings, allows one run on five hits. He strikes out 12, and he had 107 pitches early in the year. They pull him. They won't this time. You know as well as I do. Um, they bring in Ackenhausen. He gives up a run. And then Edwards kind of cruises late. And uh, if, if you remember much about this game, LSU scored three runs in the eighth to get some separation. It was 2-2. In the bottom of the eighth, and then LSU scores three, and they're able to close it out there. So they were able to kind of navigate through this thing with skeins. So clearly they had a pretty decent plan, but they also did a good job pitching. Chase Dollander. So we could see a repeat of that. Dollander was just okay that day, but uh, Seth Halverson came in, did a really good job for him in relief, but they finally get to him late. But so if you're thinking the skeins thing is automatic, and maybe it is, maybe it is. But I know Tony Vitello is a tremendous coach and on a neutral field in a big ballpark. 
you know, maybe the Tennessee offense plays a little bit better. You know, and then you go back and look at the game too thing with uh, with LSU. A pretty impressive performance here too. You know, but LSU gets off to the big start, three nothing, and then all of a sudden you look up there in the fourth, and Tennessee has come back. So it was, it was back to back. Over and over and over with these guys, you know, a very competitive game, and then LSU scores two in the fourth and one in the sixth. They win six four, uh, twelve hits in the ball game uh, for the Tigers. But again, a very competitive game played down there, and then eventually it, LSU runs out of pitching, and then Tennessee takes full advantage. Uh, but I, 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 to be honest with you, I like Tennessee to make some noise in that side of the bracket. Now. You say Skeens should be an automatic win. I think Tennessee may be the worst team to play in Omaha if you're Paul Skeens. Of all the teams in the bracket, and granted, he'll make some money either way, but if you start thinking about what's the one team on that side of the bracket that has an elite offense that you have to play, well, some would say, well, that's Wake. I think Wake, in many respects, is a product of their own ballpark. I do. I don't know that that Wake Office, Wake Forest offense is going to play in Omaha. I may be completely wrong. We may look up and be crowning them as NAFL champions. I just don't think that offense is going to translate the way that Tennessee will. Stanford, not a team. I think their offense does translate well, but they're not a big scoring team. They do have some pitching depth. But I think you're going to have to get big hits. You're going to have to get extra base hits here. LSU and Tennessee have a ton of offense. How does LSU's offense translate? Now, Tommy White could hit it out anywhere. He could hit it out of the polo grounds. It didn't make any difference. You know, but there's some other guys at LSU that kind of get by on wall scrapers. And I'm just calling it for what it is. Trey Morgan's not one of them. You know, Trey Morgan's a guy that can hit tanks for sure. But I think LSU, in many respects, is too reliant on the long ball. And I don't know. People are like, oh, Steve, it's different. Yeah, the balls are wound tight. There will probably be some more home runs hit because uh, that's what people tune in to see. But it's a bigger ballpark. And I think, you know, line drive hitters, doubles hitters traditionally have really good series up here. When you go back, I mean, look at the, the series Rowdy Jordan had when we were out there. You know, Rowdy didn't hit tanks. You know, people forget we only hit five home runs in seven games. People I like went out there and, and just mashed, and we, we didn't. We went out there and we worked line drives. Remember, Brad Cumbus had a pretty good series for us, too. I mean, not, not a lead. Obviously, he had, got an injury there, but, you know, we don't beat Texas without Brad. You know, so you got to go out there and you've got to be able to, to be line drive hitters. If you go out there looking to play home run derby, especially on a day where and the winds sometimes reverse. You know, you didn't like like it was years ago the way that ballpark is. But, you know, the winds themselves, and it's going to be some weather up there, so we don't know how the ballpark is going to play. So what do you do when the wind is blowing in? Can you play baseball? Because if you show up in Omaha looking to play home run derby, you're going to be there two games, and you're going to pack a bag and come home. Of course, when the wind's blowing out, it favors teams like that. But I think, by and large, if I had to pick an offense that was capable of navigating through this thing, I'm going Tennessee. I am. And I think in the end, it probably ends up being Tennessee and Florida. Again, Stanford could surprise us because, you know, all it takes is one big pitcher to turn this thing around. But I think should Tennessee or Stanford get into the loser's bracket, they have the depth to come back out. You know, Wake may have the depth too. I just don't know, again, if that offense translates. The worst thing that ever happens to LSU 
is if they get in a loser's bracket. You know, if they win and all of a sudden you you start looking at your schedule and and you've got an opportunity to throw skeins again, well, then that certainly favors you. But if you get into a loser's bracket situation, I think LSU is in bad, bad trouble. They they can ill afford to get uh, out of the uh, winner's bracket. They've got to win those first two games to give themselves a real opportunity. And then, of course, other people will bleed out their depth. But if I had to call it today, I think Tennessee can win that side of the bracket. I do. And I think they're playing exceptionally well, you know, up and down. We'll see. I think also, too, getting so close last year and not making it has motivated this team. I think the pitching pieces are there. The bullpen is phenomenal. LSU is not. You know, Wake Forest is a bullpen. It's been very, very good. You know, we'll see. But I don't know that Wake Forest has seen offenses like they're going to see from Tennessee and LSU. So could we have an all-SEC final? I think so. I think it may boil down to Tennessee and Florida again. We'll have plenty of time to talk about that. But uh, I'm eager for it to get going. I'm eager for us to get back, in case you hadn't noticed. I know you are too. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. If you're moving to Starkville or the Golden Triangle area, consider making Portico your home. Conveniently located near the Mississippi State campus, 1.1 miles away. Turn off of 82 on a 12 like going to campus. The very first right, Pat Station Road, the four-way stop. There you are. Boom. Close enough for convenience, far enough away to have a little privacy. Tucked away neatly in a little neighborhood there. Phase one's completely sold out. Phase two's under development. Some of those homes still remain. If you're not in any hurry, you can pick out your housing plans. You can pick out a lot and have some say in how you want the home built. How cool is that? You can get a custom build. Two-bedroom, two-bath homes where you start, four-bedroom, four-bath homes where you end. Anything in between they can help you with. So I think it's important to understand you got options. Give our friend Brooks Bryan a call at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. And let Brooks know what you're thinking. And he can give you some direction. And he can tell you how to make Portico your next move. All right, let's talk a little recruiting. Uh, we'll be back on the uh, camp field as we get ready to wrap up our camps this week. I uh, believe, if memory serves me correct, we're Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, so if you're interested in coming, you don't have to be invited. You can go to Hell State Camps, and uh, you can sign up. It's 40 bucks, ninth grade and up. Uh, there's two dates available, the 15th and the 17th. Of course, that's, uh, what, Thursday and Saturday, I guess? Today's two, I guess, not nah, whatever it is. It's Friday. Anyway, there's been some changes to the schedule. But nevertheless, you can go sign up or you can just show up. Uh, again, that's ninth grade and up. If you show up for the little dog's camp, they're not going to let you compete. You know, you can't be underage. Uh, but all that said, come out for the camps. Now, there has been some uh, recruiting news since we were together. Let's touch on that today as Mississippi State gained a new commitment. Uh, yesterday, we're going to go through this real quick here. Uh, a guy with a really good offer sheet, too, on the offensive line. Pretty significant stuff, man. It's like you start looking at this class, you start to realize, okay, some things are kind of coming together here. Some things are kind of coming together here. Uh, so let's take a look here. Uh, Kyson Shepard, uh, Paul Jones had uh, interviewed him previously. It's, it, it's not like it's a new name in that respect. But we kind of felt like 
There were a couple of guys on the offensive line in state that we wanted, and then and that's William Eccles. Obviously, we don't have him yet. We got Lockhart, uh, and then we would kind of go big game hunting a little bit. We we kind of collected pretty big commitment in Shepard. So we were on him very very early, and I give uh, Mason Miller a lot of credit for identifying him early. And Mike Schmidt kind of picks up where it left off. But uh, look at the offer sheet here: Florida, Tennessee, Texas, A and M, Ole Miss, Nebraska, Louisville, and many more. But this is a big time guy here. This is a guy that can really get things done. And uh, six five, three hundred and fifteen pounds. And you look at the offense that we want to run. You know, you need some guys that have some girth. You know, obviously we had guys that had some length, but um, also, you know, some guys that have some athleticism. And when you look at this, you know, we're going to be running the football a little bit more. You need some maulers, and we believe we have some here. And uh, Shepard, a guy too, really not rated extremely high by the recruiting services. You know, he's just a mid-level three-star guy, and that's okay too. You know, that that's absolutely fine. But when you're looking to put together an offensive line, you got to have raw materials, and this is the guy that does. Give me a developmental guy at 6'5", 315 that can bend. I'll figure it out, right? And then how it works? Every college football prospect is a developmental guy. You know, sometimes we throw that label around and say, well, he's developmental. None of these guys are polished products coming in, right? There are very few that can come in and be impact players on the college level as freshmen, especially on the offensive line, because there is a physicality they're not used to. I mean, their bodies themselves, a lot of them still have baby fat, right? I mean, they got to get more solid. They got to get in the weight room. But give me a guy at 6'15 and 315. Give me that guy. And, and again, I like the size of the, the what we're working with here. Uh, with You know, you got Luke Work and, of course, Lockhart. That's some massive players on your future offensive line. And that's where it all starts. I mean, it's not some big joke. You know, it's the thing you look back, you know, even some of the guys that we've had play in recent years on the offensive line have been guys that have just kind of been junkyard dog types that didn't have great measurables. So with that commitment, Mississippi State moves up to 27th in the rankings with now 10 commitments. Uh, we'll be a 25-member class, if not a little bit more. Just kind of depend on how things shake out. You know, we're right there at our scholarship numbers now um, for the current class, but, you know, we'll have some guys leave, obviously, with the graduation, and some guys will go pro, and, you know, some guys will transfer. I mean, it's just kind of how it is nowadays. But uh, ranked 27th with 10 commitments, and uh, kind of, re again, recapping here, four of the 10 are from the state of Mississippi. And it is a great year in Mississippi, but it's good to see that we're kind of supplementing out-of-state where the in-state crop is a little bit deficient. Now we have two commitments from Tennessee, three from the state of Alabama, and one from Louisiana. Zach Arnett talked about prioritizing Mississippi and the border states. That appears to be what we're doing. That's where we can find some level of success, and those guys are a little less likely to transfer. But, uh, again, positional-wise, here you've got your quarterback. You have an um, athlete in Xavier Gaten. He's currently listed as a running back, could be a running back. I think he's more likely a safety. you got a couple receivers, three offensive linemen, one defensive lineman who is the highest-rated player in the class in Terrence Hibbler. You got one linebacker and then um, kind of working through it. You know, uh, Caleb Dozier listed as an athlete too, but uh, good chance he ends up on the linebacker side of things. But, um, you know, I like the, the pieces we have right now, and now we got to close on some in-state kids. But let's kind of see where this class looks at. Like, because all I've heard, you know, from, from the uh, self-appointed experts is that Ole Miss was leaving Mississippi State behind in recruiting. Well, as of now, that's not true. 
State currently 27th in the nation in the in uh, re- recruiting, according to 247 Sports and recruiting rankings. Pardon me, Ole Miss now drops to 34 after Chris Davis from Picayune decommits yesterday. It's interesting how that all happens. But let's look what you know, kind of where we are in the southeastern conference. And again, it's early; it's June. You know, we've got six months to go here. Georgia currently number one. No surprise there. It's amazing how winning back-to-back NAFL championships aids in your recruiting. LSU is two. Tennessee is three. South Carolina is four. Look at Shane Beamer doing a good job out there. They're actually ahead of Alabama. Alabama is fifth in the SEC. Now, granted, Alabama's got uh, three five-star players. Carolina has eight four-stars. Alabama just four. So this kind of percentage points ahead. But nevertheless, South Carolina showing they can recruit with the nation's elite. Shane did a great job here recruiting as well. Arkansas is currently sixth. Uh, in the Southeastern Conference, Florida 7th, then your Bulldogs are 8th. And um, Arkansas with 10 commitments, Mississippi State with 10. The difference is the quality of their commitments and their ratings are a little bit higher. So they're ahead of us. They have seven four-stars. We just have a couple. And that's there's plenty of room to work within our state. There's some four-stars available, and we'll be picking up some of those very soon. So I expect State to make a run. Uh, you'd like to be in the top half of the conference, but if we can just be there in the middle of the pack, I think we'd be pretty content with that. Ole Miss currently ninth in the SEC. Just behind them is A&M at 10. Auburn at 11. Now, of course, we expect Auburn to close well, but it's the thing you think, you know, you will go out and get Hugh Freeze to be the big recruiter. You know, their early returns, just kind of okay. But they only have five commitments, so you'd expect that. They'll make a run. Uh, Vanderbilt, 12th. Kentucky, 13th. Missouri, 14th. Missouri, just two commitments. So that's really more about uh, quantity than quality, even though they're two guys, they're only three-star guys. So we'll see what happens there. It's, you know, it's difficult to know what everybody wants to do at this point. If you haven't identified guys right now within your regular recruiting footprint and hadn't been able to convince them that now's the time to go, it might say a little bit about you and your philosophy. But again, Kentucky kind of lagging behind too. Uh, they'll make a run. You know, surely they will. But, uh, you know, looking again at some of our uh, in-state prospects, guys that I think that we we got a good chance to add between now and uh, maybe the beginning of, of camp. Let's run through that real quick here. Let's kind of give you a preview. All right, so we know that uh, we've got a big announcement coming up on the 18th. Four-star out of Alabama. Maybe you're familiar. We, 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 we kind of leaked it out there. Somebody put it out there. I won't say who, but somebody put it out there. And they were all excited about it. And then the kid had a special date in mind that he wanted to do to honor a family member. And so we took it back. And so that's Tavares Banks out of Hillcrest. He is a four-star and a pretty solid four-star safety. Uh, we expect him to announce from Mississippi State. I uh, just hear in a few days. And that'll be a nice, a nice little uh, boost to the recruiting rankings there too. Again, that kid out of Tuscaloosa, not too far away from uh, our home base here. So we expect him to join the class, and that'll be a nice boost. But then when you, you start thinking about where the, where the juice is going to come from, it's going to be within the state of Mississippi. And again, it is a really good class in Mississippi. Uh, it, it sincerely is, and we expected this. But there are some kids, too, that we don't have a, chat, a shot with. And you say, oh, Steve, we should always have a shot. Well, we don't. There's always people working against you. I mean, the names change, but the stories remains, right? 
Uh, Conan Daniels, we saw him recently. He was on campus this past weekend. He tells me he's pretty locked in with Florida. Not sure if he's going to take a visit to Mississippi State or anywhere else after his Florida visit. I suspect he will. Um, but we'll see. I know. I, I think you just got to be patient and keep punching here and hope things work out. Chris Davis, of course, just recently decommitted from Ole Miss. I'm hearing that he is going to head out of state. And at 5'9", 175, I think, uh, I think fit is a big part of things for him. Uh, but Chris can go. And we talked about uh, Xavier Gaten committed to Mississippi State. He's listed as a running back, but he's really more of an athlete and would like to be a DB. Now, J.J. Harrell, four-star receiver by North Panola. Feel fairly confident this is going to boil down to a State-Ole Miss battle. I like where State sits right now, but, you know, being that close to Oxford, there's always the, uh, the possibility of some local influence. We'll just leave it at that. San Frisco McGee, I think that's just a matter of time. Three-star receiver out of Macomb. Um, probably doesn't do a whole lot for you in the rankings, but he makes you a better football team. I really like his game. Jeremy Scott's a guy out of Callaway High School, committed to Ole Miss very early, still going through the process. I think State could get him if they really wanted to. I'm just not sure where we sit on that. We talked about T.J. Lockhart earlier, uh, really nice offensive tackle prospect out of Winona. Braylon Burnside talked about him extensively. I think he's going to be a Bulldog. I don't know when he announces. Before I was told it would be NAFL signing day. Then I was told it wasn't going to be NAFL signing day. And now it's, you know, it's anybody's guess when it's going to be. Uh, Daniel Hill from Meridian, I fully expect him to go out of state. Nareel White, a guy that was on campus recently, currently committed to Arkansas. I think there is a real chance that either State or Ole Miss flip him. Uh, he's a four-star receiver. And uh, I know he's got a really good relationship with Chad Bumpus. Uh, P.J. Woodland, a four-star corner out of Oak Grove. Really like his game. I think that's just a matter of time. And uh, hearing that he wants to make the drive back up to Starkville with family and make his commitment in person. William Ackles, uh, that's, again, a state Ole Miss battle. And the truth of the matter is the fact that this thing is still lingering on, give Ole Miss some credit for kind of muddying the water a little bit because I was told even back in March that he was uh, pretty close to committing to Mississippi State. So I think ultimately State's going to get him, but it's, it's been a real battle for sure. State still chasing Tristan Jernigan, a linebacker from A&M. He was at A&M last weekend when his team was here at a 7-on-7 tournament. And you pick up Fred Clark, you feel really good about that. Tyler Carter hadn't been rated yet. He's out of Vicksburg, Mississippi. Really like his game. Big rangy defensive end, also plays some baseball. Uh, we got a spot for him. That'd be cool. Uh, Cameron Beavers, a four-star defensive tackle, currently committed to Ole Miss. I don't think that's over by any stretch of the imagination. I know the Ole Miss people think it is. Uh, I'm here to tell you it's not. Now, Sandy doesn't sign with Ole Miss, but they're going to have to fight to keep him down the stretch. And then there's Alex Foster. like him a lot. Um, quite honestly, I thought that Tyler Carter had the better camp. But I would take them both. And there's Caleb Moore, obviously, from Oak Grove. Aaron Travis is a guy that I think in the end state and Ole Miss both ultimately don't take. I think he ends up going out of state. Could be a G5 guy. Could be a Southern Miss guy. Could be Memphis. We'll see. Uh, I don't think he ends up in the class. But, when again, you start working through these receivers and you think Burnside and Harrell adding Woodland, uh, you start seeing some four-stars join the crop. I think you feel really good about the class. Again, things are going – you guys feel a whole lot better recruit, about recruiting today than you did two weeks ago. And that's what everybody said is let's just get into camp, let's just get into camp. And everybody's like, oh, my gosh, I'm ready for a commitment. And then the next thing you know, we get into camp and here we are knocking on the door of the top 25 – uh, in the recruiting rankings nationally. And so, and that's typically where we've been no matter who the coach is. You know, we're usually in the top 30, right? And we have a really good year. Sometimes we're in the top 20. But it's very, you know, few and far between. You know, it just doesn't always work that way. So, 
Uh, but the bottom line is recruiting is moving forward. And then this week we'll wrap up our summer camps. And uh, according to what we're hearing, not going to have a July camp. So we'll have the month of July basically off. And uh, we'll be updating you guys as best we can, uh, kind of keeping in contact with prospects and seeing what they're thinking because there's a lot of guys out there leaning towards making a preseason decision. So we'll see how things go uh, in that respect. All right, if you haven't done so, go to dogpilebook.com. And you can get most of my sports books there. You can get Dogpile, which every Bulldog fan should have a copy of Dogpile. If you hadn't got your Father's Day gifts, you're running out of time. In addition to that, you can get copies of Flim Flam and Alpha Dogs. If you want Starkville ones, you're going to have to either buy it online uh, through a third-party site or you can buy it through a local bookstore, provided they still have content. There's a couple bookstores in Starkville that still do. Uh, and then if you're looking for Bloomsville Leander for just a limited time now, you can still get it on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksAmillion.com, but pretty soon that'll be going out of print, moving away from that. And then, of course, Stark Villains gear available at StarkVillains.com. Uh, I'm about five chapters into the new book. Our hope is to have that out on the shelves uh, in October or so. Uh, certainly in time for holidays, it's been uh, quite the experience, very positive and at times very negative. But uh, I am very, very grateful to be able to share my story of recovery and uh, a lot of things I'm going to write about, not especially flattering, for sure. And uh, I don't really have any reservation about that. I mean, it, it is who I was, and I'm no longer that person. So I'm going to share this with you. The name of the book is uh, When the Bottom Falls. And again, we'll have it out for you soon. And uh, pre-orders available soon. Now, I'm going to make sure everybody understands this. Pre-orders means when you order, you're going to get a book, right? Gives you the ability to go ahead and handle that. It doesn't mean you get it before it's in bookstores. We'll do our best. You know, as soon as, as soon as books are here, they'll hit the they'll hit the mail. You know, uh, but a lot of people think if they order that they're going to get it like months before it's in stores, and that's just not how it works. But uh, we'll set it up for pre-orders, and you can make sure you get a book, and uh, we'll get that signed and, and personalized for you if you request it. But uh, not going to be a sports book, but uh, I guess kind of a memoir in many respects. But uh, when the bottom falls, uh, coming out later this fall. That's it for today. We'll see you next time. Until then, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.